house of the Lord this morning. I had a board meeting with our church board this morning, and uh, I got up pretty early. Brother Manley was talking about this song, Awake You Up or something. And Man, I've been awake for hours now. I may go to sleep while I'm preaching, but <laughs> I doubt it. <clears throat> Turn with me and your Bibles to Psalm number 40. Psalm number 40. This is one of David's psalms. And I want to speak on the subject, remember the pit. Remember the pit. Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Isn't this great? And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. And you may be seated. Praise God. I, I just I am just exceptionally happy today. I I just I just feel good. Praise God. I, I had a couple of things happen to me this past week that I thought was a little different. Two two letters I received and I didn't really understand. Uh, one letter I received from a lady that was in a bottle with a cork on it. Seriously, you know, pastoring is just a, it's, it's great. <clears throat> just, <laughs> you, you think I'm teasing. No, I'm not teasing. I got a letter, uh, and it was in a, in a little bottle with a cork on it, and it looked like one that, you know, you'd throw out in the ocean, like, you know, you see in the cartoons, like B.C. is always throwing this bottle out, and something returns. I got this letter, and I didn't know if I should open it or not. Because, <laughs> you know, I... I could see there was a letter inside, and I looked. I was a little skeptical. I didn't know what was in the bottle. Uh, All I could see was a letter, so I got it out. And this one sister, a concerned sister, had sent me this letter across the state. And she was dead serious in in this. She just said that I sent this in a cork bottle because I know that it's been raining a lot, and I was afraid to get caught in a flood. (laughs) I want to make sure you got a letter that you could read. So, <clears throat> so it, it was uh, readable, and it didn't look like it had been in the flood. <clears throat> then I got another letter, and it was all in Spanish, and I, I could not read it. But I got Brother Eckenrod, and this letter was from Brother Richard Flores, and he's going to be testifying for us tonight. Such a great letter. I thank you so much, Richard. Uh, Richard is from Puerto Rico, and he will be giving his testimony tonight in conjunction with our mission service. Uh, he is was he was a Trinitarian preacher, and uh, his association with some of our uh, campus students, and also with uh, some of our literature. All of a sudden, he just uh, saw the light of Jesus' name, baptism. 
you will enjoy his testimony. He's a very likable and interesting man. He told me, he said, now, I'll have to speak slow. I said, well, don't worry about that because I'm from the South and we all speak slow. You know, <clears throat> I'll tell you, our brother, <laughs> brother uh, Nichols told one of the funniest stories. I noticed, I noticed, Brother Nichols, when he had all those people over at the Minnesota camp that he's t- taken back to Russia, I noticed a couple that uh, obviously were from the South. Now, I don't know why it is, but maybe it's because I'm from the South, but you can just see somebody walk in. I mean, they're just, I mean, very normal people, you know, everyone from the South. <laughs> but, but there's something about it. You say, those people are from the South. Well, I noticed this couple, and so I asked him, I said, now, who was the older couple that was with you? He said, they're from Mississippi. And I said, well, do you have any any uh, concerns about them? And, of course, when Brother Nichols got before the pulpit, and uh, when he first, he first walked up, he used this phrase, Shlava Lagoo. And uh, so... Uh, then he told us what this meant, praise the Lord. And He said, well, he said, you know, Brother Grant, I have a little concern because we had this couple from Texas to come over. And he said, now, uh, I'm helping you out, Brother Richard, okay. So he said, uh, uh, this couple really had problems with the, the phrases. and but, but this one man, he insisted on using some of the phrases that the Russians use, and he would greet them. And so he was greeting everyone on the streets, and then he greeted the people in the church. He said, the only thing is, when he put his southern drawl on this, nobody, including myself, I didn't know what he was saying. I said, well, what did he say? He said, the brother got up and he said, Shlava Lagoo. <laughs> and everyone looked at him. They had no idea what he was saying. Richard, I am here to tell you that I'll probably be able to translate for you. Okay? <clears throat> All right. <laughs> In fact, you may even have to help me out some. Every now and then, I will use some uh, phrases or some words or, or whatever, and people come up to me and say, what in the world are you talking about? So I remember when I first moved to Wisconsin, when, when we talk about raising the window a little bit, you know, let a little fresh air in, in the south we always say we just crack the window. And in Shano, now the people in Shano, I mean, they take you literal. Uh, so when I told them I cracked the window, the sister thought that, I, that she said, well, there, there is a better way, you know, if you want fresh air in. I said, what? She said, well, it, you just, it raises up, you know. <laughs> she, <laughs> you know, she thought I had a hammer and went... Let in a little fresh air. And then I mentioned that I kicked the thermostat up a little bit. And she, I'm serious. She said, what do you want to do that for? I mean, you don't have to kick it. Doesn't it work? I mean, just just turn it. I'll help you, Richard. Okay. We'll we'll make it together tonight. Praise God. You remember where you came from? I'm not talking about coming from Texas, but I'm talking about coming from a world of sin. Every person that's living for God today should be mindful 
And maybe I should say he should be thankful that God has brought him out of the miry clay. He should. If you look in the Old Testament, time after time after time after time after time, God reminds Israel about Egypt. You remember where you came from? He says, don't ever forget that. He even said, when you go into the promised land, he said, I will allow you to possess the land just a little bit of a time, at a time, lest you forget where you came from. Have you ever grown very impatient with God? I waited patiently for the Lord. You know, it is amazing when people first are baptized with His Spirit, when they're born again. It's amazing how sudden they think things should transpire or happen. The Lord says, I will allow you to possess the land a little bit at a time, lest you forget. There's just something about the, the, the rapid progress of a Christian in his growth in the Lord. And I'm certainly not against rapid progress, but, but you have to understand that the faster you progress with God, the quicker you are inclined to forget about where you came from. I've seen people that have uh, come to the Lord, uh, and, you know, they're just gung-ho, just totally gung-ho. I mean, all 100%. I think you ought to be 100%, but, I mean, they were so exuberant. But the problem is that their peers that had not yet given their heart to God, they have no patience at all with them. So I don't understand why people want to be so dumb. Why would they want to live the way they're living? I said, but how long did someone pray for you? How long did someone witness to you? Did you, were you, did you give your heart to God the first time you walked inside of a Pentecostal church? Oh, no, no. Well, perhaps you need to back up and you need to remember. Now, I think everybody needs a good rememberer and a good forgetterer. I don't know. I don't think those are words, but but <clears throat> I think you understand what I'm talking about. There are certain things you need to forget. There are certain things you need never to forget. There are certain things you want to remember and certain things you never want to remember. It just works that way. So let us all, as we walk with God, let us all at least remember enough about the life we came out of so that that world never becomes enticing to us again. And I think the way it's described, it talks about the pit. A horrible pit. A horrible pit. I've known some people that you try to convince them that living for God was, was just the, the great life, and they would argue about, well, I'm having fun now. I'm enjoying life now. But I will say this. I've never witnessed the, the, the testimony of anyone after giving their heart to God and looked back and they said, oh, well, where I was wasn't so bad. Once they give their life to the Lord, they look back and they said, oh, yeah. I lied to myself. I tried to make my friends feel that I was having fun. I remember the little discrepancies 
in my language, uh, in my conversation. I'd live with guilt. I, I, I wonder why I told this person that. I, why can't I be honest about this? Uh, I remember when I got changed and it was too much and I didn't return it. And you know, just the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Sister Grant and I were in a restaurant not too long ago. And the waitress had made a $10 mistake. And it was in our favor. So I called her and I said, I think you've made a mistake. And I showed her where she had added this. And she was not charging me enough. And, and she would just, she said, you mean, you want to, I said, yes, I want to pay for everything I ordered. She said, well, I, this is so great. She said, now, they would have caught the mistake later, and I would probably have been chewed out. But uh, you could have walked right out. I said, I know. But you see, I have to live with myself. See? She says, well, I can only believe this. But c can you believe that someone could just walk away and 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 feel that they had profited when they had to live with themselves. But you know, you say, "Oh, that's nothing." Well, you know, a little here and a little there, and a little here and a little there, and a little here and a little there. And after a while, the, the you know the person is living with a whole lot of little bitty things that's just bugging him and driving him crazy. This is the good life. It really is. I've often said, you know, if somehow we could just, if we could take every person in the world and force the Christian life on them for a week or so, you know, we could convert the world. So many people would never want to go back. But I preach this message this morning because I know full well that people who have had great experiences with God have turned their back on God. They have gone back into the world of sin that they were totally disgusted with. And they do it because they forget. I don't know of a person that I've pastored that's backslidden. And when I talk with them, I didn't remind them. You, you must remember where you came from. You've got to remember that. Do you remember that? Not too long ago, we had a young lady visiting our church. She sat in the very back next to the sound booth. And when our service began, uh, we had Brother Jeff Baum to get up, and Brother Jeff started worshiping, and then he started running. And so after service, she took issue on that with, up with me, and she said, Now, I just uh, think that's so disrespectful, and... I disagree with this, and I said, well, let me ask you, do you know anything about this young man? She said, no. I said, let me tell you a little bit. And as I began to talk to her about Brother Jeff, I could see tears coming to her eyes. And the reason why is because this young lady was in for counseling because she had monumental problems. All you have to know is where the man came from. It does a lot 
it does a lot to the credibility of the story. You have to know where the man came from. Well, she said, you know, maybe we should just talk about something else. My mind went to several people that I prayed for that I know were demon-possessed. I remember a lady, and uh, I, I know that some of you don't like to hear stories like this, but I, I think it's needful. I think it gives glory to God. Uh, we started praying for our lady one time, and it was, was in our old church. And before we moved to this location, we had pews. This lady, as we began to pray for her, was quite evident that, that she was bound by some evil spirit. And this lady just started jumping, and she she got up on the pew and literally dove off in the floor. She scratched herself up, but she clawed at herself. We were doing nothing but just praying. I told our people, I said, you know, our battle is not a physical battle, so let's just call on the name of the Lord. There's no need to trying to restrain her. Just let her go. We... You know, we don't want to get involved in that, so we just called on the name of the Lord. After a while, there was just a deep, deep peace that came across her countenance. Before, you know, her brow was so wrinkled and furrowed, and, and you know, just, you could tell she was under a lot of strain. We took and baptized her, and the baptismal tank, uh, parts of the tank had red blood water as a result of it. But when you began to talk to this girl later, there was such an appreciation that came to her life. She began to tell all the sins that she was involved in. Horrible. Most of you that sit here today, it's not may not be true of all of you because I don't know all of you, but most of you that sit here, you know, you may occasionally read about some terrible things in the paper. But let me tell you something. There are a lot of people out there in the world that are genuinely messed up. You know, you'd think, well... You'd have to practice. You'd have to sit down and write, try to write a script and, and practice it to get messed up the way they are. It is unbelievable what some people, the entanglements that they have with, 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 with humanity, with, with life in general, with sin. In the times in which I have detected demon possession, I prayed with people, I, I have heard some very, very terrible stories. Now, the thing about it is, I have lived long enough to see some of those people genuinely delivered, but later on go back into that. Say, how would they, what, what, what caused them after receiving such a beautiful experience with God, after living with God, what caused these people to go back? They just failed to remember 
the pit. They failed to remember it. After a while, they're back in it. The sorrow comes again. The wrinkles on the brow come again. The entanglement with friends, or if you call them friends, with people, they come again. Now, the average Pentecostal that, that I'm acquainted with knows very little about the world. Well, most of you, even though you, uh, uh, you know, we all have had our moment with God when we were genuinely converted or born again. But for the most part, uh, uh, this is not true uh, of our congregation. And many of you that sit here, you, you grew up in a good home, a lot of principles and uh, character traits were stressed, and you did not experience some of the things that, that uh, a lot of people in the world experience. So for the most part, I'm speaking to people that, that uh, may not understand the true value of what I'm talking about. But I know of some of you, some of you were alcoholics. You remember how you were bound by alcohol? You remember that? Some of you were hooked on drugs. Some of you were hooked on alcohol and drugs. Some of you were involved in immorality. Now, when I say remember the pit, don't sit around and think about how good alcohol tasted to you and how great the highs were. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about remember the sorrow that it brought. See, every road in life is determined whether it be good or bad according to the end to which it leads. That's what I'm talking about. See, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is the hard way. But we know the Bible also teaches that there is pleasure or there is joy in sin for a season. And for some reason, people get their minds on that season in which they were with an individual and how they felt in the presence of this individual or they were in a location and they were, they were being provided with drugs or whatever that that put them on this high and how they felt at that time, they, they just forget about the consequences. They forget about the, the times in which they were involved and they couldn't get what they wanted and they were miserable. I saw an article in the paper about, about probably three, maybe four years ago. And they were talking about drug addiction. And they had several people that had sniffed or snorted cocaine to the point that they had to have the cartilage removed from their nose. And their, their nose is just flat. And they had a, uh, an article about one person that had uh, smoked marijuana to the extent that uh, this person had huge pockets of fluid within the body. And so they took and lanced uh, the area of the knee because the person had water on the knee. And, and when it came out, 
It was a brownish type liquid, and when they tested it, it was just pockets of marijuana. The doctor described it. He said, this stuff just smelled just like marijuana, like someone smoking it. And when we ran tests on the individual, we found that this person had big pockets of this fluid all over. One lady from our church was having surgery in the hospital. There were three ladies there in the hospital that were having their stomachs stapled. And these ladies were talking about marijuana addiction. And they, one lady was telling, and of course uh, Sister Grant and I happened to be down there, and this lady was saying, we, we grew a plant that was so big that we had to take and pull it up with a car. We, I mean, we tied a, a rope around it and put it on the car and pulled it up. And, of course, the question was asked. I don't remember who asked the question, but why did you pull it up? She says, oh, you can't believe, she said. We take, we use it all. You know, we, we smoke the leaves, and then we take and we chop up the other part, even the roots of it, and we boil this, and we freeze this, this liquid, just like chicken broth. You know, like you, and, and what do you do with it? We make brownies out of it. You get high eating brownies. What about your children? Oh, they love it. Well, you sit around and laugh about it, but after a while, the laughter leaves. Problems set in. Now, I'm speaking some things that some of you can relate to because I have talked with some of you. Now, why then talk about something like this? Because every now and then, you forget. You forget. In Acts the 10th chapter, there is a very interesting story. This has to do with Peter as he is on the housetop. I'm amazed at the revelation that God gave and what is really involved in this particular story. In Acts the 10th chapter, verse 9, now this is Peter's vision. Peter is on the housetop in Joppa, and here he is praying. Remember the setting. Uh, there's a man by the name of Cornelius who happened to be a devout man, and he lived in Caesarea, and he wants to know what he needs to do to be saved. Well, the angel of the Lord said, send for uh, Simon, whose surname is Peter, and he's in, he's in Joppa, and he'll tell you what you need to do to be saved. Well, at the time that all this was happening, Peter, being on the housetop in a trance, the Bible says, verse 9, on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they were made ready, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him. I'll tell you, there's nothing in all the world like being caught away in the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever been caught away in the Spirit. Occasionally, some people are slain in the Spirit. It's just like they, they just, as they worship, 
just everything in this world is blocked out and they enter into a new dimension. And it is a beautiful thing when people become so engrossed in prayer uh, that, that they lose contact with the earth. That, that they're, just, they're, they're so locked in on heavenly things. Their power of concentration is, is so powerful. They just they forget about it, what's happening around and about them. Now he saw heaven open a certain vessel descending unto him as it has been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Now, there was a voice that came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, I'm, I don't know the persuasion of all of our guests who are here, but this will be good for you to hear. Uh, we just had a little situation here in Madison in which uh, some of the animal rights activists were, you know, protesting against the raising of a thousand head of buffalo. Uh, you may say, well, uh, animals are on the same level of humanity. Well, you have to understand that it was this theory of evolution that elevated animal life on the same plateau of human life. You understand what I'm saying? Darwin's theory of evolution. That's where all that comes from. There was a time in which all people were vegetarian. Did you know that? Prior to the flood. But after the flood, the Bible says that God told man to kill animals and eat them. And, and, and I know that there's a lot of things going around that say, oh, no, you don't want to eat this meat and everything. It's, you're, you're, you're healthier if you're a vegetarian. I would just say this. If God said eat meat, it's all right to eat it, and it's hard to improve on what God says. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't use a little discretion. I'm not saying go up and gobble down a bunch of fat meat and a bunch, you know, you follow what I'm saying. Uh, I'm not saying that, but I am saying that, that what's happening in our world today has come about as a result of man demoting himself and elevating the animal kingdom. You may say, well, they have a life and they have a right to survive just like you have. And I'm just telling you what, how God looks at this. Uh, I do not feel that there is a cat or a dog or a horse or a cow that is, is, is as important to God as you are. I can prove that scripturally. I can also prove scripturally that, that you were made in the likeness and the image of God. God breathed in the man's nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. You are what you are, and you will always be what you are. And nothing can destroy that. You can destroy the body, but you continue to live on, and there will be a resurrection. But there's no promise of such for the animal kingdom. Uh, this is kind of strange, but I remember when I, years ago, when I was a kid, now this wasn't just true in the Pentecostal ranks, this was true. You would not hear any preacher refer to a human being as an animal. Oh, they said, oh no, because... See, Paul talks about different kinds of flesh. You remember he talks about that? 
And he also talks about different kinds of angelic beings. And they, they would say, oh, no, we're human beings. We're not animals. Well, I know the technical description of plant life and animal life. I know that. And I certainly know that I am not a plant or a vegetable. And, and I also know that, <laughs> that we're told that we have to be one or the other. Well, if I, had to be, if I had to choose one or the other, I would certainly choose to be an animal as opposed to being a plant or a vegetable. Now, I would do that. <clears throat> but on the other hand, I do believe that human life is valued above all others. Now, I said that to say this. When you look at this story, you think that God is talking about animals and only animals. He is talking about the animal kingdom, but the meaning goes a lot deeper than this. All right? The Bible tells us in verse 12, and I may be backing up a little bit and reading, rereading some scriptures, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now notice what Peter said. Not so, Lord! For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And you have to go back to the Old Testament to know what was common and what was unclean. There were certain meats that were prohibited for human consumption. But what the Lord is saying is that, that in the New Testament... that he's going to take all the restraints away. Now, if you saw Jim Rivers yesterday at our church picnic, you found out that, that Jim is accustomed to eating things that most people would not eat. You saw his T-shirt, didn't you? How many of you saw that T-shirt? I'm telling you. So if any of you get the feeling that Jim needs a nice meal, you don't have to be too discreet. I mean, he'll eat anything. So, <clears throat> so just, just cook him anything. He'll eat it. But the truth of the matter is, when you when you listen to the Apostle Paul as he talks later in his epistles, he talks about the eating of meats and everything, and and it, it's it's more than just an inference. If if you are able to thank God for it, you can eat most anything that you want to. Even some things that maybe some of you ladies would consider not to be edible. The thing about it is that, you know, if you can't thank God for it, I would say don't eat it. <clears throat> but... The reason why, and the only reason why, in the Old Testament, that some were considered common and unclean, and some were considered clean, was that it was God's divine choice to make them that way. So, if God touched some, and when He touched them, they became clean, what He's saying here is, that now God's hand will rest upon all of them. And they are desirable for human consumption. 
But the meaning goes deeper than that. Because when you look in the Scripture, the whole standard, what we would call the standard of holiness. Let me just back up a little bit before I get involved in, in this. The standard of holiness there. You know, the, the New Testament church after the day of Pentecost, they worshiped God with such innocency. They didn't know a lot of things that they found out later on. They, they probably didn't know anything about justification. They knew nothing about sanctification. They just knew that they were saved. And, and, and it is so beautiful to see new people worshiping God in, 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 in the beauty of holiness. I mean, they just worship God. And if you went to them and talked to them about justification, they'd, what are you talking about? They don't know what you're talking about. If you talk to them about sanctification, they don't know what you're talking about. They just, they, they just don't know it all. And yesterday, when I was engaged in a conversation with Brother Gary Kunish, this came to my mind, Brother, Brother Gary. You were talking about the stewardship classes. And he said, well, when I, when I was first saved, I thought, man, I don't need those classes. He's just worshiping God. I just love God, and I know God. And he knew a few scriptures. He said, you know, later on, I went in there and I found out, boy, there's a lot of things in this book. A lot of things I need. For some reason, I just thought, well, they're just teaching elementary things. And, you know, and, and he was gauging all of this on his, his deep-rooted experience in God. Now, you can have a deep-rooted experience in God and have a shallow knowledge of God's working relationship with you. Now, please understand that... In no way do I want to minimize that deep-rooted relationship with God. The first thing you need to do when you come to God is develop a relationship with God. That is so vital. It is so important. Justification, as taught in the Scripture, means God made you just as if you'd never sinned. In justification, we find the cross of Christ involved. Through His cross... He cleansed you. Through His cross, He purified you. In other words, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was appropriated at Calvary because of the crucifixion has purified you and cleansed you. Now, the other subject in the Bible that's very similar is the subject of sanctification. Sanctification simply means that it is set aside or part for a special service. Basically, we can say this, that in justification, Christ died for you. In sanctification, you then die for Him. In other words, you voluntarily make Jesus Christ your first choice, not your last resort. And you set yourself aside for the purposes for which life on the planet Earth were designed. Now, to summarize this then, when we talk about holiness as it applies to human behavior and our relationship with God, it simply means this, that everything that God has touched and cleansed, that it is placed in a totally different category than those things that He has not touched or cleansed. I think if you went back to the Old Testament 
and you looked at the articles of furniture that were in the tabernacle. And many of you are familiar with this. How many of you are familiar with the Old Testament tabernacle plan? At least a degree. And you know that their, their form of worship was different. But it all pointed toward Jesus Christ and the day and hour in which we live. And each article of furniture had a significant uh, role in New Testament uh, uh, salvation as far as it being a type and a shadow. And you're familiar with that. But you see, when they dedicated the temple, the presence of God came down. The Lord told Moses, now make sure, well, I, I use the word temple then, tabernacle, later on temple, the story was the same. The tabernacle was portable, mobile, could be moved around. The temple was permanent, placed in a definite location. But upon both occasions, the tabernacle and the temple, make sure that you make this house according to the plan that you have received. And how, how are we going to know? Well, you follow the directions. God gave them directions. If the glory of God comes down and anoints it, then this means God's approval is upon it. And you will find that when the first tabernacle, when the tabernacle was dedicated and when the temple was dedicated, both occasions, God's Spirit came down like a cloud. Now when God touched that place and it was dedicated, it was purified and cleansed and was to be used only for the purpose for which it was designed, for which it was built. This is the reason why that... A, that an evil king by the name of Belshazzar could not, on the feast day, take one of the golden vessels that came from the house of God, fill it with wine, and desecrate it, and walk away scot-free, so to speak. He's not going to do that. Why? Because that vessel was designed to be used in the house of God. It had no other purpose or reason for existence. And it was God that touched it. In other words, what we say about this vessel... This is not just an ordinary, common vessel. Now, he, he possibly could have gone and picked up any vessel in, in his palace and filled it with wine and made mockery to God, but he's not going to do so with this vessel. And you know the reason why? Because one day, this vessel was touched of God. One day it was dedicated. And what the Lord was saying in this, He said, Now Peter, you have always considered certain animals to be fit for human consumption and certain ones not to be fit for human consumption. Basically, where did you get that idea to start with? You gave it to me. If the God that cleansed the first one cleanses the second one, the second one is just as important as the first one. Now little did he know that this had a much greater meaning than just the killing of animals and eating of their flesh because the, the Lord showed him this thing three times. He would not accept it. And I've heard a lot of people talk about, about Peter. Well, he should have just believed God right away. Well, I don't know about that. You know, the Bible says out of the wit. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And he was, because God had given him this, he wanted to make sure this came from God. I mean, you just don't, you know, just because you get an idea, you don't just go off just because you're in a trance. You don't feel that, oh, I could go change the word of God. 
This man had reason to look for confirmation, verification. Well, at any rate, after this happened, then these men that Cornelius had sent to Joppa, they came and they, they knocked on his door. They knocked on the door and they, they asked for Peter. And they said, uh, our master Cornelius, he's a centurion. He's a Gentile. Oh, a Gentile. Do you know the reason why in the Old Testament that God put such great emphasis and favor upon the Jewish nation? Because there was a man that stepped forth from his household and his friends and walked across barren, empty land to a country at the voice of God and climbed to the top of empty hills and spoke out into the empty air and believed that there was a God there that he had never seen with his mortal eyes. And because he had faith in that God, that God came down and set him aside. And Abraham today is known as the father of the faithful and the father of the Jewish nation. Now, what he's saying, though, is that there was a time in which God favored only the Jews. But this is going to be changed. You'll find that when Cornelius goes, or when Peter goes down to Cornelius' household, in verse 34 of Acts 10, then Peter opened his mouth and said, Oh my, he said a mouthful, and it seems like he, he almost had to say this, in self-defense, because, you know, he had been a little bit on the bigoted side. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. He would not have preached what he preached had not he have had the vision he had, and he had a deeper understanding of that vision than what most people understand. Basically, this is what I'm saying. That the reason why that you need to remember the pit is because if you have been baptized in Jesus' name and and touched your life one day and set you aside, you're not common and you're not unclean. And what God has cleansed, let no man call common or unclean. Now this is an amazing thing. Paul said you can do nothing against the church but for the church. Now when God touches you and you are sanctified or purified or justified, the whole idea of holiness comes into to full focus and view. So if people set out to try to destroy you, they can't. Paul said you can do nothing against the church but for the church. In other words, every evil thing that goes against you, God will take and turn it around and ultimately... Make it for good. Isn't that something? In certain countries, I guess we go to the United Kingdom, and this kind of comes to our mind. The, the peasants of the country, they're, I'm talking about people without any connection with royalty. They're called commons. That simply means we're just common person 
the House of Commons. What is it talking? What are we talking about anyway? We're talking about a legislative body made up of just plain old people like John Grant, Chris Manley, Dan Thorpe, Dan Capaccio. That's what we're talking about. Through some act of bravery or deep dedication to the country, the status can change. And does change for some. And I think when the world looks upon a person like myself, I'm just, what am I anyway? Just me, nobody. Don't have any great wealth. If you made a survey of Madison and asked the people here, how many of you know who John Grant is? I can assure you, just because I get letters in bottles and some that have to be translated, most people don't know me. I'm a nobody. And you may feel that way about yourself. But it really isn't that way with God. And if God be for you, who can be against you? You know the reason why that, that, that the person who has known God and experienced God, do you know the reason why that when he backslides he has such great difficulty in coping with life? Listen to me. Is because he is taking one of the uncommon, sanctified, dedicated vessels What does the Bible say about our body? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. If any man defileth the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For God loveth a holy temple, which temple ye are. That once you have been set aside for the purposes, or the purpose for which you were made, You can't do just anything you want to do with it. Happiness is not a formula. It's not an ingredient that a backslider will ever find. It's not out there. He never will find it. He'll live miserable the rest of his life. He may live long and he, he, may, he may die of old age, but he will die a very unhappy old person, empty and not fulfilled. This is the reason why that God would not let, let Israel do some of the things that the Canaanites did. You hear me? Why? Because Israel, they were dug from that pit, digged from that pit, maybe I should say. And they couldn't go back to the pit and be what they were before. They could not. You know... Of course, I've, I've told this story before, and it, it happened right, part of it happened right in our church, remember, several years ago. I, I think it was about 10 years ago now, but the Kurs had gone up to Rhinelander. They built a new building, dedicated the building. Well, the Kurs is from Rhinelander, but the Kurs, one of our pastors, 
uh, one of our preachers, he's not pastoring now, but he is the principal of the Parkway Christian Academy, our largest Christian school in the state. But he went there and in Ron Lander and attempted to do a work, and everything was going good, but all of a sudden, things didn't go so good. Well, he called me up on Thursday and talked with me and said, Brother Grant, I think I'm going to have to leave. And he said, things are bad. And what's wrong with the courage? He said, well, I guess it's pride that caused me to wait this long, but we're three months behind on our church note. He said, we got bills we cannot pay. He said, I'm supporting the church almost by myself. He said, I've been teaching home Bible studies. We've been praying. We're doing everything we know to do. Well, I didn't know what to tell the man. The reason why is because in stewardship class, I, I caution people about saying, well, we'll pray for you and let it go at that. Because, you know, that's easy to say. And I have scripture to tell you uh, that, that God frowns upon that. In other words, if you have this earth's goods and your brother or sister is in need, don't say, well, I'll just pray for you and let it go. The Bible says, give to him. So I said, well, Brother, Brother Curtis, I hardly know what to say. I just, I just don't know what to say. And it was in November, I think, of, uh, of, uh, of 82, I think it was, November of 82. At any rate, I, I couldn't get that off my mind. So when I went to church that night and... Uh, the church had just taken an offering for my birthday, and I wanted a real nice desk chair. Uh, and I had picked the kind out, you know, it was a lazy boy reclining chair. Now, why I need a recliner in my office, I don't know, but I wanted it, you know. And <clears throat> so I picked one out, and it was terribly expensive. So when the church gave me the check, it was $350. Um, when they gave me this to buy this office chair, I looked at the check. I knew 350 wouldn't buy it. In fact, it was twice that much. I, I, I didn't say anything. I just accepted the gift. Well, that's great. Praise God. And uh, I'll see what I can do about a chair. I thought, well, I may have to alter my plans for a chair. But at any rate, uh, when Brother Kurz told me that his church note was $350, and I had this check in my pocket. It's like, oh, Lord. You know. Well, as I prayed for him, that I said, no, Lord, um, is it really right for me to pay $350 for an office chair when my brother is losing his office? But I said, now, but my, just, my justification was this. That was given to me as a gift. And I don't like to see people get gifts and just throw them to the wind. If anybody ever helps you, you need to sincerely appreciate their gift. And, and, and if they give you something, whatever it's intended to be used for, use it for that. You know, be mindful of it. But at any rate, this was bothering me. It was bothering me deeply. So that night... I stood up and I said, now look, you know, we've already taken an offering and I'm not making an appeal for an offering, but here's the situation. I explained the check and I said, I'd just like your permission to take 
this $350 and it occurs. And I said, all of those in favor, would you please stand? Of course, the whole church stood. So I'd made up my mind I was going to do this. Sister Grant then walked up and said, the ladies auxiliary will pay one note. Then a brother in the church came up and said, I'd like to make part of a note. And one by one, people started coming up. And they started handing me money. I filled up my pockets. Now, keep in mind, we're not taking a special offering. And, and then uh, after my pockets were filled, I said, look, I need to preach, and I got this money in my pocket. Hand this to Sister Bryant. So people started handing it to her. I had children to come up and give me pennies, nickels. We had a pop machine at that time. Pops were a quarter. And one child came up and said, this is my, this is my Coke. Uh, I'd like to give it to the Kurds. Well, after church, I went in my office, and, and Sister Brian was in there. She counted the money. The money was $1,950. So I called Brother Kurds. I said, Brother Kurds, I uh, have some money for you. I said, uh, I'm sending you. I'll transfer it to your bank tomorrow so you get it right away. One thousand nine hundred and fifty. Well, you know, he didn't say much. He was very quiet about it. He said, "Well, I don't want to take your money." I said, "It wasn't my money." Yeah, but it came from your church. I said, "No, it's money. We didn't, we didn't take an offering." I said, "I just told our people uh, about your situation." I said, "They started giving." Well, at any rate, I thought he cut me a little bit short. I, I really wasn't. I was a little bit puzzled. He called me about an hour later. What he had done, he'd gone over the church. This man had spread all of his bills across the front of the church. And he said, Lord, here they are. He didn't even add them up. He said, this now, here they are. Now, I'm going to have to leave, I guess. And it's almost like heaven is shut up and nothing's happening. I'm teaching Bible study two or three times. I can't find a job. I've been supporting this work. He went over there with his wife. They took the adding machine. They added them all up. He called me back and said, Brother Grant, you cannot believe. So what? He said, we added up all those bills. And all those bills came to $1,949. And the cents went right up close to within, I think, three or four pennies of what we get. I don't know how far it is to Rhinelander, but it must be 250 miles up there. so a long ways. Can you believe that God is so mindful of his children that he could speak to a little child and say, give your candy money. And to somebody else, give your pot money. And to somebody else, give your chair money. Do you think God cares for his own? He was not going to let the prayers of a Cornelius go unanswered. Cornelius was a Gentile. He was considered to be a dog as far as the Jewish nation was concerned. But God was going to change his status. 
I never want to forget where God brought me from. I make reference to it so often. I know some of you have heard over and over and over the story of my conversion. You're probably sick of hearing it. But for my own sake, let me keep telling it. And when you get an opportunity, would you share yours with people? Would you stand with me? God is so good. Huh. Just want to add something to that little story. You know, I gave my chair. Would you believe that night? After doing this, a brother in this church walked up and says, Brother Grant, I want to start contributing to your chair. And he gave me a $100 bill. He said, we're going to get that chair for you. I was going across town, and I went by this office place, and I saw, they said, sale on office furniture. I pulled in. I went inside, and they had this very chair that I wanted. So I asked the lady about it. She said, well, it's broken. She said, it's, it's got a, there's a rod underneath that's broken. So what we've done, we've reordered it, and it's just called damage. I looked underneath it. I saw that the rod that reclines it, it was just where it was spot welded, it had come undone. I said, well, are you interested in selling that? She said, well, why don't you make me an offer? I said, I'll give you $100 for it. She said, you just bought yourself a chair. <laughs> Praise God. I put it in the back of my car, drove over the church, and Johnny Johns, most of you remember Brother Johns, he was working on the bus. He was doing some welding. <laughs> Had it upside down, and I, I showed him this. He said, oh, Brother Grant, that's so simple to fix. I took it out. He put it on a piece of plastic there and slid some piece of metal underneath it. It must have not taken him a minute. He had that fixed. Praise God. I gave my $300. I gave my chair away and got a chair. All of Brother Curtis's needs were met. Talking about a breakthrough. Praise God. Brother Curtis found a job the next day. His car was broken. He said, I don't even know how I'm going to get to church. My car is just going down, down. He got a job with a company that gave him a new Oldsmobile to drive. Praise God. Oh. Why don't you, if we have anyone here that, that somehow you've been neglecting to be thankful 
why don't you just step out and come down and just show your appreciation to God. Make this trip to the altar all over again today just by saying, Lord, I want to rededicate. I want to show my sincere appreciation to you. Come on, step out right now. Come on.